0: That suit's a little revealing, isn't it? Well, it allows for maximum mobility. Feels like I'm wearing nothing at all. <laughs> Quit it! Must wash eyes!
1: Uh-oh.
0: <sighs> okay, don't panic. Remember what the instructor said. If you ever get into trouble, all you need to do is feels like I'm wearing nothing at all. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. <laughs> Stupid sexy Flanders! Oh
2: my leg. This is the worst pain ever. Go oh, go! Oh, oh, oh.
0: Ahoy hoy everybody and welcome to another Talking Simpsons interview I am one of your hosts for this one, the stupid sexy Bob Mackie Who is here with me today?
2: Uh, it's Henry Gilbert and uh, I also have come down with leprosy today Oh no,
0: check <laughs> to see if it's oatmeal <laughs> And mm, delicious <laughs> Yummy And who are we talking to today? We're talking to Carolyn O'Mine If that name doesn't ring a bell, she's been writing for The Simpsons for the past 22 years And we just referenced it up front Her first episode was Little Big Mom, which we recently covered on the show
2: Yeah, she has worked on the series for literal decades now. And not just, you know, as a writer on the show or co-executive producer or executive producer even Uh, but she's also you know has been a voice director on the series too she has so many fun stories to share you know we mainly focused on uh, her early years on there since that's what we're covering right now but she had so many fun stories to tell what what a nice person too one of our our, the nicest people we've talked to (laughs) and
0: we go into her pre-Simpsons career including Full House we got the dirt on John Stamos you're going to hear about (laughs) it in this podcast
2: (laughs) Uh, we, we learned a ton ton about that and Uh, easily enough to fill a second podcast we could do and uh, so yeah I think you guys are really going to enjoy this again a big thank you to Carolyn Amine follow her on Twitter it's just her Twitter handle name and then follow her on Instagram too and you know if you enjoy this interview we have a ton of previous ones too I think we're I think it's over 30 now I'm pretty Uh, sure
0: uh, we're up that far we talked to quite a few uh, people over on patreon.com slash talking Simpsons they're all at the $5 level our previous interviews for the first I think like two and a half years of our Patreon we've talked to people like mark kirkland and david silverman and mike reese and john viti and i keep going and going there's a lot there's a lot of people i think we've covered about half of the uh writers to date (laughs) at this point uh
2: and it was great to hear carolyn's perspective on on such a long time on the show and and her very varied experience on it and also you know being one of the only women in the writers room (laughs) for a time too we we learned a lot from her so uh big thank you to her and uh, i guess why don't we just go into the interview My first question is an easy one, but like, what got you to start your your career in comedy?
3: Hmm. I guess career wise, my I, I was doing a lot of improv and sketch, and I I wrote a lot of sketches for for that, and I was in an improv group with a guy who's Mark Steen, and his sister was Nancy Steen, who was a tv writer at the time and so she was familiar with my sketches and stuff because she had come to a bunch of our shows i was also working in a literary agency and she called one day looking for writers and i was like oh hi it's me and um (laughs) and so she told my boss who was a literary agent rob rothman the fabulous rob rothman uh (laughs) that you know she said you know your assistant writes and and he she said you should represent her and he said well you should hire her and then she said well tell her to give me a script and maybe I will. And so (laughs) he came out and he said, you should write a script. And so I wrote a script and he got it to her and she hired me. It's crazy. It worked. It was very, very lucky. But that's, that's how I got career wise, but I had been doing improv and uh, sketch comedy for a long time. And that's, that's what sort of prepared me for.
2: Yeah. I was curious, you know, the, the, how would you compare like the, the improv scene when, when you were getting started to what the improv scene, at least in LA of, of now kind of feels like, like, is, is, do you notice similarities or differences?
3: Uh, It's very, you know, I did, I, 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 I'm not good at judging time, but I did. Mm I want to say five years ago. Just I took a I took a class at uh, UCB just to. I, Is that right? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I, yeah. I sometimes call them USB, and then like people would correct <laughs> me. Like I'm like, what am I saying it wrong? But UCB. And I, you know, just did it. It was. I just missed doing improv so much. And I wanted to to do that, and uh, it was really interesting to see a different comedy theory. And it, it's it always feels weird to think like that comedy has theories because on one hand it's like this artistic thing, like well, wow, there's no the comedy is, has no rules, but but it does, and and I think it, it actually there are you know it's it's like religion. I think you know <laughs> there's many ways to get to God, and sometimes you need to look at some what somebody else did, and so. It was very – I thought that the UCB, their whole thing – I don't know. how. Are, are you familiar? Are you in improv uh, at all? Uh, we
2: know it a little. We're kind of on the outside, but we have lots of friends who, who work.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, uh, they have a very specific thing about finding the game of a scene and then repeating the game of the scene and, and resting it and then coming back. And, and they get very uh, – When you do improv, like sometimes I came from a different, we were trying to create a sketch off the top of our heads, basically. So we were trying basically, and there were other little rules. It was all that like, yes, and, and (laughs) no, deny and all those things. But, you know, I, when I used to teach improv, I used to to, isolate time people because I would say like a really good sketch would be about three minutes long. And so at one minute, you should have had your premise sort of set. And by two minutes, you got to like leap to action and then you start reading. Reaching for an ending, um, and I would—I I just felt like internalizing that clock was a—you know—just something to do. But it's very different because UCB. <laughs> Yes, UCB. I thought I said it again. Yeah. <laughs> USB, UCB. Uh, they they would get very like. Oh wait, you're getting plotty because I would be trying to tell a story, and they'd be like, No, no, no. You're just repeat the game. So that was that was interesting. I, I, when I look at some Saturday Night Live sketches, sometimes I think, Oh, that's that's what they're doing. Is they're like, Here's the premise. Here's another example of the premise. Here's another <laughs> example of the premise. You know, I, I I like things to go. Here's this. Here's these people. <laughs> Something happens to them, and then <laughs> there's an ending. But that's—I think it's harder to do. And you have—you know—there's just in the old school, <laughs> it was a lot more. Uh, you just kind of had to accept some of them aren't going nope, to. They're not all gems, you know. <laughs> yeah. But I—I I feel like with the the newer version with this, and and they also have they this long form is just very. Mostly people do long form now. And that allows you to like, oh, it's starting to lose steam. Somebody jump in and, you know, take the scene to another, like take one word and go off in another direction. So it's incredibly entertaining to watch because I do think old improv short form improv you would have sometimes these moments of you know wow i can't believe this was is just being made up and then you'd also have many cringe moments i (laughs) I think improv was a lot less enjoyable to watch just because you'd feel like bad for people but uh and i think now you you kind of like there are people like there's no dead air because it's all it's like a It's like a movie trailer. They're they're trying (laughs) to go for like a movie trailer as opposed to trying to create Hmm. a sketch.
0: Yeah, I think in the past... Uh, 10 years, there's been a great amount of uh, improv awareness, at least increased awareness, because I really got into improv comedy via podcasting. Uh, networks like Earwolf, where local LA improvisers would just do scenes for a podcast. And I think before mm-hmm. that, I would just associate it with whose line is it anyway? I'm like, that's the only improv I know. That's like the only version of it that's possible. But now, I know long form and short form and all the different rules set up by the UCB. So yeah, how, how do you feel about that? There was not really a platform like that to like g- disseminate your, your comedy.
3: It's hard because, you know, for a lot long- time at most of the you know back in my day a lot of people thought that improv couldn't be on tv it wouldn't work and i you know i i feel like watching whose line is it anyway i kind of felt like yeah it doesn't really work (laughs) um part of it is that well I liked what I would call open scenes, but as exercises, you would do games. You would do things like, you know, you know, like every time this guy touches your, his ear, that person will fall down. <laughs> or, or there's <laughs> a thing we used to call, do called actor's nightmare, which I think is a great game where one person has a playbook, like a book of plays and, you know, the audience would open it up to any point, And then you'd read one character's lines and the other person has no idea what play you're doing and you know you get a suggestion so you're like two auto workers meanwhile this person is only going to be saying lines from glass menagerie and the other person (laughs) Mm -hmm. has to justify and make all of those lines make sense and i think those are great because you know even if you audience just wants to see an attempt and they actually kind of want to see you fail too like that's funny too so i think in that kind of thing i think that worked really well in television i feel like whose line is it anyway i I haven't seen it in a long time but that's they basically were doing these games which to me would be more like exercises but i think in television that's kind of you know why i think it doesn't work is that when you're watching a scene and it's actually happening and it's just a scene and it and and you're watching it live there is that thrill of like knowing this is happening live Hmm. i feel like you you don't believe it if you see it on tv it Mm -hmm. it feels like yeah they could have cut and edited that or I don't know I'm not sure why but I yeah so for a long time I thought well I don't know if improv will ever really work on on a tv and I have, I have to admit I haven't I've heard I know that UCB does a podcast and I haven't I haven't heard improv on a podcast level maybe I think that could work
2: uh, well it depends on the improviser too like yeah they, they have to be certainly trained for it well so it, once you got into the industry there was one of the, your big shows before Simpsons was Full House and Mm-hmm. We, we definitely have some Full House questions. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was
0: that was surprising to me because it is a very uh, non-Simpsons show. And I say this as someone who has a lot of affection for the old Full House show. I watched it sincerely mm-hmm. as a kid and then ironically as a teenager. And uh, how did you find yourself on that show? And what was the atmosphere like compared to what would happen later in your career on The Simpsons?
3: Well, so the Full House was, you know, I had I had been on a couple shows before that. And uh, one was, a, you know, it was like we have 20 episodes and we're out or not even no not 2014 and we're out and then it didn't go any further and you know it was it was I was so excited to have to be able to go on hiatus and come back and know that the show would still exist <laughs> so even though I wasn't like I watched the show and I was like I don't know this is my cup of tea like, I don't know if I would have watched it had it, you know, because I was a younger person and didn't have kids, but I was like, all right, I won't have to like worry about coming back after hiatus and wonder if there's any jobs, but it was a very happy place to work. Mm-hmm. Everybody was really nice. Nobody had any attitudes and the actors were all very nice. And the writing staff was very, I don't know, happy, diverse, funny. <laughs> it was, uh, it, it was, you know, uh, to be honest, the writers... <laughs> Ha <laughs> Knew that I feel like the actors and the re- the people on stage were like this this they when the Emmys would come out they'd be like why don't we win Emmys and I, I was like on, we're full house why don't we win Emmy? but uh, in the writing staff they were like mainly it was because the actors used to paraphrase all the time that was what hmm. they do like hmm. I love John Samos he's super nice but like he'd sort of been taught early on that the script is just a starting point it's like an outline so if you gave him a joke that was like why did the across the road if he was supposed to say to get to the other side he would go well uh, it's what i would call um to get to the other side per se like he kept saying per se like he didn't know how to use it but he kept throwing that in there And, and he also learned these little tricks like uh he told somebody once like he told another actor and then they told us that like if you walk while you talk uh they they can't edit around you as much because you'll you'll jump you know you'll you have to you have to sort of keep all of that, or at least keep part of the cross. So I feel like a lot of the writers were sort of demoralized, and
1: um,
3: and also with a lot of notes, you know, from the network. So mm. you just were sort of churning out what you could. And I, I remember sometimes some somebody would be like, "But but does it make sense that he would be so obsessed with his hair?" And and then people look at him like, "Like oh I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm holding us up," you know, dealing with logic. Let's keep moving. But uh, yeah, it was it was a very particular thing. And, and so, yeah, so something like The Simpsons is very different in that to, to be at a place where people were, one, you know, our actors are very, very respectful of us. And so they also, we, we work as, you know, together, we, we do take their improvs, but they will always give us at least one take that is what we wrote. So, you know, it makes sense to, you know, really think about the wording of a joke because they're not going to just plow right through it and say it however they want to anyway, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, so I think that dynamic between us and our actors at The Simpsons really keeps the writing morale up and keeps the writing good. And I, I think that there was sort of this spiral of like you're, you know, the writers were sort of, we didn't have as much influence as the executives who mm. would be like these young people who have like came up for marketing and now they got moved into being executives on the show and they would I think they got paid by the note no I'm <laughs> I'm sure they didn't get paid by the note but they they wanted to sort of justify their job by giving notes and so they would they would give these you'd see they'd have all the, like they'd have worked on these notes and I remember this was on a different show that I was on that was also very note heavy <laughs> but there was like it was a, it was called Stand by Your Man and it was these two women whose husbands were in prison and at one point somebody said you mean I have to drive 150 miles to this prison and then like the note was was, uh, can we make that 200 because 150 is a little wordy. And so, yeah, like, all right, great,
1: great Titan. And then when we
3: did, when we changed it, the actor was like, whoa, well, why is the prison getting further away? Like he was thinking that was, meaning his part was going to get smaller. I feel like a lot of t- a lot of shows, not just Full House, but a lot of shows of that era, the writing really suffered because the writers were so at the mercy of hmm. the, the notes. And then also, you know, the actors could just do whatever they want or not do your thing or, you know yeah
2: speaking of the writers on it i did see uh in in your years on it actually the i think it was the teleplay of the episode right before the last episode you wrote is credited to adam i lapidus uh who mm-hmm. is also he wrote a simpsons before going on to full House. did that that simpsons work ever come up while while you guys were working on the show
3: yes i mean he mentioned <laughs> it a lot uh <laughs> yeah he did he did a freelance episode Was it the front yeah the front he yeah yeah he and I think he had, I think he had knew Sam Simon. And so, but that, that was like, yeah, it was early in his career. He, he did a freelance episode for yeah. The Simpsons. Yeah.
2: Did you know you were writing the last episode when you were writing that, uh, a season? Full House? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh yes i like was it officially canceled by that point when it uh it was assigned to you
3: yeah it, it we we knew that it was towards the end and uh my first draft we we all there were a lot of and there, i don't know how much stayed there were a lot of sort of swipes at the show good-natured swipes but i think <laughs> there is because she has amnesia right <laughs> yeah and that uh she uh, michelle um has amnesia and i think she sort of says like wow this house looks so much bigger on the end Inside, just on the outside that was always the thing like you know that the exterior they would show of this little townhouse but there was always like here's joey's room and and you know and uncle jesse and becky and becky were like they've got this giant like there were so many rooms and every once in a while there'd suddenly be a basement and another kitchen and whatever. It was just- yeah. when jesse
2: and becky moved into the attic i think that was the <laughs> first time as a kid i questioned like how big is this place really? <laughs>
3: oh we got
0: an attic now yeah <laughs>
3: why did they what did they use the attic for before it was just this empty room
0: So you eventually would move on to animation writing with some classic Chupo shows like Real Monsters and Wild Thornberries. Uh, how did you first start to, uh, you know, broach this new uh, frontier?
3: I actually did those while I was, like, as I was at Full House. And then I went with Mark Warren and Dennis Winsler, who ran Full House at the time. They, they went on to do a show called The Parenthood. And I was writing with them and they were, it was sort of similar shows, but uh, not as successful. But I had a friend, Mark Steen, who's, Sister gave me my first job. He was running uh, Real Monsters, and he said, "Look, you know, if you if you ever want to do one of these um, during your hiatus, they're really fun, and you know, we don't get much notes." So I was like, "Oh yeah, I mean, really?" I and I wrote an episode, and he changed very little, and it was you know they recorded it, and I was so excited. Mm. It was very it was a it was such an exciting thing to me to be like, "Wow, something that." Mm doesn't get all diluted and changed and um, so then the next hiatus uh, I had another friend uh, who was also from an improv group I was in Mark Palmer he was running the wild thornberry so he said you know do you want I so I wrote one for him but then at that point then Clasky, Chupo and Nickelodeon they started deciding we're gonna give notes and Hmm. and it was like back and forth and it it wasn't as bad as like network and studio notes on the other shows that I've been working on but it it was enough because the money was way less. It was <laughs> way 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 less. So like the re- only reason I was doing it was cuz so I was like sh- <laughs> can I say sh- Yeah, no, sure. No, go for it. I was I was like fuck. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> i was like I was like shoot. This is uh this is exactly like what I do for much more money. Why would I do it, you know? <laughs> the only reason I wanted to do it was to um just for artistic satisfaction of being able to write something and not get it all changed. Um, but it, it did, it was also the first time I wrote and those two writing for animation and just sort of going, wow, this is cool. Cause with, um, especially writing sitcoms, you, you know, like in, in a show like full house on, um, you have this giant stage. So you have so many sets You know, despite how big the house was on the inside, but Mm -hmm. you could only have um, one or two swing sets, I mean, literally because of the size. So it'd be like, if we've got a giant store, then we can't go to Jesse's apartment Mm and Becky and You know, like certain things would have, like if the smash club is here, we can't also have this. So you'd have to write grips knowing with those things in mind, how, you know, you can't have a bunch of swing sets. There's only so much real estate we've got in this stage and budget and all that other stuff. But then you go into animation and none of that is is a consideration. You can go to the moon if you wanted <laughs> and you can have thousands of people. Like, you know, if you look on those old shows, sometimes, you know, somebody would turn to somebody like like, you know, the hot dog vendor and go, Can you believe it? And that guy's just gotta go like like, you know, because he can't, we, we, we can't afford another person speaking, you know, yes. um, which we never have. <laughs> we don't in animation, you know, we have our fantastic cast and they do so many different voices. And that's true of most animation actors. You could have a salesperson come in and that person can have a, have a great part and be a strange character. And it can all, you know, this is, you know one of the great things about animation. And and I think The Simpsons really um, benefits from that and i mean you know bob's burgers you know all of us but it it is this you know idea that you don't have to just have these same people and you can go anywhere and everybody can talk <laughs>
2: mm. did did working on those you know prepare you for when you applied to the simpsons and uh in season 11
3: it i think it it certainly helped me when i write my scripts and and think about the shows are you asking if it did it help me get the job or uh, well, yeah, i don't, it was, I don't yeah. know that it did because I, I don't that they I don't know that they knew okay. <laughs> uh, but I mean I might have mentioned it to uh, Mike Scully was the person who hired me but I had been recommended from uh by Brian Scully because I had worked with him on a on a show
2: oh okay
3: uh, so yeah I mean I might have like it in my interview but I can't remember I said hey I also did this <laughs> Saturday morning cartoon so I know how to <laughs> it, it definitely helped a little bit in the in the thinking although I think that you know we've had writers start on our show who have no animation experience and hmm. you pick it up <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: so uh, how did the hiring process work for you for season 11 and were you concerned that your work with more traditional sitcoms might be seen as a strike against you in that Simpsons world
3: I, I knew it was going to be a strike against me to like some of the fans and I I, I think <laughs> they, I do Aww. remember when I saw like on that bulletin board of, before, before there were like websites they were like we just found out she wrote for full half her
1: I'm sorry. Uh, but
3: uh I don't know I I did feel I th- I did feel a little um I don't know I, I kind of was a little self-conscious I didn't think I was as good as these other guys because mainly everybody else had such stellar credits and, and including the also that they were all from like Ivy League schools and I was from well I had graduated from UCLA but I started at the University of Hawaii and <laughs> um you know so yeah there were all there were a lot of things that made me like kind of feel like I better just work really hard (laughs) Um, but I actually didn't I actually I didn't start in season 11 I actually started a little bit earlier like almost towards the uh, I started in season 10, wow. but it was a whole season before I uh, got a script because hmm. uh, it was, there was a, like most of the episodes were assigned and then um, for the first season. And then and I remember it was like me and Tom Barton. They were, they were like, you guys can have, can have a pitch off basically. Like we both were <laughs> have to like go and write stories and then we'd come and we'd have to pitch them and only one of us was going to get a story because that's all we had this year. And then Maybe next year you could get a script, and uh, and and they also said at this point we've got enough Homer and Bart stories, so it's got to be a Lisa or Marge story, and um, which are a little harder, and because they're not as splashy. <laughs> and then um, then Al Jean came back. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like it's so we're like time already like okay here's the big pitch out and then al is like oh wait are you pitching stories and we're like um well tom and i are and then he's like oh i got stories so uh. he just pulls out this notepad <laughs> and he's like oh and then he pitches this story about homer becoming a food critic and then uh, you know it's like oh that's great and i'm like yeah it's got homer <laughs> and so we we're like duh. and this group goes to al so uh yeah we were Tom and I were like well <laughs> maybe it's next year uh
2: when we interviewed Mike Scully he mentioned early when he started there you know it was it felt really intimidating to him especially all these you know Harvard guys and it and it's such a famous room uh he was intimidated to pitch jokes the, the for the his first like few episodes on the show do you do you remember the first time you pitched a joke and and it got on the show
3: I do. I remember exactly what my first joke was. And it, it's probably, it's actually probably for season nine because we we were always rewriting. I remember, it probably was, I don't know. It's the Vegas show.
0: Oh, that's 10. I think that's early 10. Is that Viva Ned Flanders? Yeah. Right. Is
3: it Viva Ned Flanders? I, I remember my first joke was, it was a sign joke that, that, that got on the air because... Uh, yeah, because it was so. It was it was something that was late in production, where it was like it was in co- a color and it was almost ready to go. They were like, "We just need a, we just need a couple more signs as you go down the the boardwalk." And and so um, I pitched "Loosest Craps in Town." And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's a great first one. It's a classic poop yeah, joke. I was very excited about that. And, uh, yeah, I did watch it on TV. Like, ah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, but so it was a while before. So it wasn't until season eleven that I got an episode.
0: And at the time, I believe, I believe that uh, Julie Thacker was the only other uh, female writer in the writers' room. Um, how how has that changed over time in the in the past twenty years?
3: Well, Julie was uh, she was she, Julie was like a consultant. Chris she was mm. yes, she she wasn't in the room as much. But yes, so for a long time, I it was I was the only woman. We had Valentina for a while. It was me and Valentina. And then I would, I want to say again, I'm bad at estimating time. I would say like she was there for about five seasons, mm-hmm. maybe six, I guess, because we have to go with even numbers. Yeah, probably six. But now in the last few seasons, uh, we have many women. We have Christine Nangle. We have Jessica Conrad, um, Elizabeth Av- Kiernan Averick. <laughs> <laughs> um and then well we had uh megan amram for her mm-hmm. she was uh on our show during the weeks that she was off from the good place so yeah she was she was sort of doing what i was doing like a, a much more high caliber version of what uh. i was doing uh where she just she was just like the simpsons so she just spent her breaks with us um she did it for two seasons and now, now she's developing things, so mm-hmm. off into the wild blue rounder.
2: Was it tough at first being, like, the the only woman regularly in the in the writer's room then?
3: Um, it, it was, you know, it was tough at moments. I mean, for a lot of times, I, I felt like it, it just kind of felt like, not like one of the guys, but <laughs> I just felt like another writer. It, I felt like it, it took a moment to win everybody's trust Mm -hmm. I guess to like let them know that I was one you know I I, at least competent and and (laughs) as good as they were and uh I don't know I I I think there was a moment early on where people were afraid to make raunchy jokes around me and then I made raunchy jokes (laughs) and they realized oh okay Mm. all right (laughs) um but uh no I it, it definitely there there are things that are difficult about it and I'm so glad that uh, it it definitely is a, a difference to have more women mm. it, it, it just is an energy feeling of uh, it just it it feels good mm. um mm. but you know it's it's one of those things where it's like yeah it, it wasn't easy being the only woman and there there's a lot of things i could complain about but i, I sort of don't want to because i don't want to like I, it, you feel like when people have evolved i don't want to be like yeah but you know what they used to do it was this and <laughs> mm. because uh yes we we were getting better and but also it was you know this it's always it still is this really interesting funny room of fascinating people and i will say all of them i'm sure me too we all have strange weird opinions about things (laughs) and uh so yeah there was a couple times i was like what are you saying that's crazy but uh (laughs) that's sort of what makes them so brilliant everybody one of the most brilliant people um and he's not he he doesn't write with us anymore but was john schwarzweiler who doesn't he was never in the room on a daily basis but he uh did a lot of episodes and when you know when he came in he was always so interesting because he he kind of lives with his brother and i kind of get the feeling that he's kind of not interacting with a lot of other people so (laughs) when he would come to the room he would just be full of conversation and full of like theories about the world and um you know he was he he i remember he really hated bill clinton and he he uh
1: We, we at, burn, at that time
3: yeah. i think clinton was president he was like he, i think he had a bet with somebody that this that he that clinton would leave office being chased out of town <laughs> and he would in a car, and he would be firing at the people like this <laughs> this was his prediction of what would ever like you you know seriously think this is gonna happen I, and that's just another
0: <laughs> that's a very
3: extreme example but you know you, sometimes you just kind of go all right you're brilliant you have some strange thoughts <laughs> but,
0: <laughs> It is amazing for us to hear people who have actually talked to John Swartzwelder. We think of him as this J.D. Salinger figure that no one has ever seen in like thirty years. But I didn't. I didn't actually know like he was actually still coming in to deliver his scripts. I thought he'd just like throw them over the wall from his Cadillac and, and peel off.
3: <laughs> no, no, he would. Uh, you know, he, we, he would be here for a couple of days. Oh uh, wow! Okay. To wow. do while well, we worked out the stories, and you know. Uh, my early days of writing in sitcoms, like my one of my first rooms I was in pre Full House, everybody smoked. I used to smoke it that ha- I was like right there on the I mean, apparently, just before I got there, there was other things happening in the rooms. But uh, <laughs> at this point, it was just smoke. I remember there's one girl um, on the staff that I was on this show, Home Free, uh, early math. Matthew Perry vehicle mm-hmm. and she didn't smoke and i always felt so bad for her they would put a fan like you know oh, facing uh... outward like well this will suck the wind the smoke out and we would try to stagger so like not all 10 people were smoking <laughs> while this one person didn't smoke in this room but anyway you know a year or two maybe the very next year it might have been you couldn't smoke in the room, and everybody started quitting smoking. But you know, Schwarzwald always smoked, <laughs> and it was like, Well, he's here and he's not here very often, so we'd get him like a candy dish, and that would be his <laughs> ashtray. And he would sit and smoke and tell us he's crazy. Like, he'd come in and say, You know, you could probably buy enough land in Rhode Island until you could eventually own enough of it, <laughs> that you could then be the senator. Of- like, he would have these. One time, he was going to own a coffee farm, he just has a Really wonderful mind.
2: Yeah, I got a feeling sometimes Homer or Bart would make a crazy pronouncement in the show, and we think like that's Schwartzwalder must have just said that in the room, and they put it in his mouth.
3: Yeah, and and just his his stories. I mean, I don't know if you've uh, he has book on amazon oh they're, they're great yeah yeah they're great I- i've heard i've heard some people complain like there's too many jokes like, <laughs> like which i can't, i don't really find as a problem if
2: a sentence goes it, by in one of those books and it wasn't a joke i'm like oh man he got lazy on this <laughs> sentence here <laughs> uh
3: you know he's on twitter and I is that think really he did. that's
2: really him i i was sure that was a, a fake account or something wow it
1: is him
3: wow. i it is him hmm. and um he had a pilot that I know at one point you could he put it on there so you could at least connect to a link so I guess it is oh I wish I could think of the name oh it's Pistol Pete yes okay everyone should watch it because that is so it's it's like one of his books in pilot form and it's uh it's kind of you know he's so he's 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 very he loves cowboys Mm -hmm. I think he uh I think he at least the last time I heard he was living in um Roy Rogers house Wow. I think it was Roy Rogers old house and yeah he had very uh strong opinions <laughs> he loved trigger and that you know he would he was, roy rogers's horse and he loved dale evans roy rogers's wife but and then he would say and Buttermilk, which is Dale <laughs> evans's horse, and she apparently buttermilk didn't do any tricks. Like <laughs> this, is real like bitterness yeah. towards like, why is that horse famous? Like, <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, Pistol Pete is uh, is kind of, it's kind of a mess, and it's fun to watch. But I just find it interesting that it exists and that someone gave him a development deal to make a live action pilot. That's great.
3: It, yeah, it is. It is like his books that are just full of these great silly jokes and uh yeah it it was pretty amazing
2: (laughs) now we we've also heard that when you're a new writer on the simpsons you you get assigned a march script or like you're probably given a march is that little big mom was your first script was was that your pitch or was was it assigned to have a a march script
3: um i don't know i don't know about that that new writers are assigned march scripts but uh yeah. It, it, it's i guess it's sort of but that was uh it was an assignment in a yeah it was i remember we were, we were going to have a pitch out and i was working on a story and the story i was working on was that the simpsons would house sit for burns and the reason why i wrote this why i wanted to come i was sort of backwards engineering because something Ron how he had said, he just said the phrase of, um, of monkey knife fights. <laughs> and I just thought that was the funniest phrase. And I was just, I think I was thinking, how could I get to a monkey knife fight? So I had come up with this pitch that the Simpsons house sit for Mr. Burns and eventually get access to his boat And then once they're in international waters, no rules apply. And that's when they start having monkey knife fights. Uh, So um, Mike Scully had come to me. And of course, I was also like, oh, I can't wait to get a script. And I can't wait to pitch this story. And we were going to have these pitch outs. But then the pitch outs kept getting, you know, something would come up and they would be delayed. And so but every once in a while, he would say he he would have an idea and say, okay, I just want this story done. So maybe you do it. And (laughs) he had this idea. And his whole idea was that Marge gets hurt and lisa takes over in the house and so i was like okay i'll do that and i was like i just told him my pitch and then he said oh that sounds good we'll do that we'll we'll give that to john so that ended up being a schwartz like he came and then we pitched it to him and then he ended up writing that um became the mansion family yeah that's amazing
2: um, i didn't know that was your pitch that's such a great episode
3: <laughs> well you know the greatest thing about that episode is is ron haugie's pitches nah. but uh <laughs> you know that's the, the the power of the room but yeah so we then we're just like okay you know we gotta that's what the assignment you know was was marge gets hurt and lisa takes over so in, in the room we were just pitching out well how could she get hurt and then at some point some was you know, we went to a bunch of things and then we were kind of, you know, we do that thing. Where we have a first act is a set piece of some sort, and usually sort of starts through the. And we realizing we hadn't gone skiing yet. And then, and I I know it was George Meyer who came up with a very funny idea that Marge should get hurt by, um, like she should not ski, mm-hmm. but get hurt in the lodge, like everybody else would, you know, ski. And then I remember at one point, um, as the story was going, and I'm like, you know, we're all pitching, and then at one point I don't even remember who pitched it or how it started, and I know. I was pitching there too, but thinking it was a joke that, that, And then Lisa will trick them into thinking they have leprosy. <laughs> and I was you know, we're all like laughing about this. And often we will sometimes go down a path that's not going to like, you know, there's no way we could do it. But, uh, and that's what I thought we were doing. And then I just remember at one point realizing like, as, as they started talking more, I was like, Oh wait, we're, we're actually going to do this. <laughs> and so I, Like started writing down the notes, like, Oh, okay. It's, all right. We're going to go to a leper colony. Yay. <laughs> so it was exciting for me because um, uh, that was a great way to get them to go to Hawaii because mm-hmm. they they go to the leper colony on Maui I mean I'm sorry Molokai and uh, I'm from Hawaii so hmm. it was the first time the Simpsons went to Hawaii and uh, it was very exciting
0: and uh, speaking of that episode Little Big Mom it is uh, pretty famous on social media for the stupid sexy Flanders segment mm-hmm. uh, do you take any mm-hmm. pride in seeing that constantly on Twitter and every other form of social media
3: oh yes yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> especially because you, 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 I think every Everybody probably feels that way about the first episode where they have a little like it feels really special and important and you know yeah.
2: What I love about that bit is that Homer uh, he admits that Flanders is sexy. It's not that he's mm-hmm. also grossed out thinking about his butt that he knows it is a sexy butt as well.
3: Yeah, that's the problem. Right? Like it's, <laughs> it's his sexiness that is keeping him from being able to remember what his instructor had told him. <laughs> One thing that's really brilliant about that that little segment is that there's that moment where he his legs split apart mm-hmm. and um and then he gets hit in the crotch with moguls yeah that if you listen to it uh, that at the record and it was one of the first records i went to like i i now um, direct a lot of the records but that was at, at first you know you would go to the table reads and sometimes you could stop by the records but most of the time we're writing when they're recording but because it was my episode i went and, and so it was so dan you know like they're like okay can we, you know he we usually do the lines and then we're like look at the stage direction and go, Well, are there any sounds we need here? And so he first just did uh ah, and then I remember saying, Oh, it's it's he's getting hit with moguls, so it's sort of like a, a repetitive thing. And he's like, Oh, okay. And <laughs> then he just did it like, oh, 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 And like it has this, these <laughs> so they they animated to his vocal track, which is often the case. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, some there's some things they'll we will just kind of some things you kind of just sort of make the call that, like, no, we'll let the animators do the Action and we'll have the actors do over it, but because you know our cast is so good at sort of just putting humor in these little noises, there it's not just wallah it's not just a sound. They they will, you know, we we hmm. do find a joke there too. But that that to me was just really brilliant. Uh, just hearing him kind of imagine, okay, what would it sound like <laughs> if you were being repeatedly hit in the crotch with moguls? Yeah, and it, it's just. Uh, yeah, brilliant vocal he's
0: a superstar the yeah. like Dan yeah. a...
2: <laughs> I, I don't want to go like episode by episode on your credit once but I did uh, the, your next one was uh, the dolphin segment on the treehouse and mm-hmm. and uh, you also uh, wrote a full treehouse episode too so I was curious how, uh, what's it compare writing you know a third of a treehouse in the way it used to be done on Simpsons versus writing the entire episode
3: I, I really liked the way we did it before only because we all love the treehouse and And it was a way to sort of spread the wealth (laughs) (laughs) and it's very difficult to write you know three different stories they're hard to write in general because you really have very little time you have less than seven minutes to tell your story and so everything's got to be very compressed and you know it's just it's it's got to be super efficient you know there there are three different styles usually too so it's, it's hard to do all three and you know it really is an episode that tends to get very rewritten I mean they're all of our episodes are are rewritten, but with the Treehouse, especially, I I would say pretty much every time anybody's done where it's been all them, then they'll they'll often be like, eh, we don't like this segment, and that segment will just go, and then we'll just write another whole segment. Wow, um, yeah, it happens. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it has happened not that way, but pretty much, I, I'm I'm thinking it tends to be all right. We got these two, but we need that one more. And sometimes sometimes there's more than one. Like, Hmm. write another one, and then it's like, yeah, let's come up with something else, (laughs) and then (laughs) write another one. Um yeah, so most of our shows are um, very, very rewritten, hmm. but uh, I think Halloween tends to be especially so. Yeah, and, and I think that's part of the reason why you, you know you know the whole thing about how we have holdovers from the season. Oh yeah. Last. Oh yeah, yeah. So we always have, and that's done so we have a cushion in case something terrible happens. I don't know that anything ever has happened. <laughs> We're like we have we start the season with four episodes already pretty much done or at least very close to it. So that's why we always sort of make the Halloween is all always a holdover because those episodes also have a longer post-production because um you know usually it takes we always say from the table read to air it's usually about nine months Hmm. but the holdovers will go from the table read to the to the air it would be more like a year and a month you know Um, oh yeah and and because the the halloween episodes treehouses are um especially are are very uh, hard on the animators as well. Harder, because generally everybody looks different. There's, you know, there's just a lot more designs and the background's going to be different. It's just, you, you can't depend on with, you know, I, I mean, we do have episodes that are also do that. You know, we just recently did the episode set in Rome, ancient Rome, things like that. But uh, yeah, those those episodes are a little bit harder because you can't pull as many stock or library Mm. images
2: and uh well you mentioned the voice direction yeah i was very curious about that like how uh how did you get uh get put in charge of that and also you you've not only been the voice director for the show but also for you know uh at least two the simpson video games and how how does doing it for a video game compare to the uh to the tv show well, at least you're credited for Tapped Out and for the Simpsons game. Uh, I, I will say that.
3: I don't know that I, I'm credited as like a as a voice director.
2: I believe you're – I can double-check this. Well, the, the I, I mean, IMDb game, is wrong about yeah. things sometimes. The Simpsons
0: game does have uh, full can... animated scenes, 2D yeah, yeah. animated scenes with the full cast.
3: Um, I don't know. I don't – I did not do the Simpsons game but mm-hmm. I, I did do some tapped out things although most of tapped out the voices were just pulled from the library i mean you know like the character things and but there were there were a couple of animation things and i, I did direct those i've, I've done <laughs> There was one time um garmin it was early um gps you know, little oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Machinery, like now that everybody has in the car, but before it used to be these little devices that people put, can put in their car and they, they wanted to do one with Homer's voice on it. And I directed, directed that. Mm-hmm. And that was a very long session. <laughs> it was really long of like, turn right. <laughs> like, it was Dude, at the roundabout, lot day. <laughs> go yeah. straight. <laughs> yeah, so Tapped Out is, was similar to that. But yeah. Uh, So how did I get to be uh, uh, a voice director? I'm not, I'm not in charge of like doing it all. Um, I did for a long time do a lot of the, at least initial records. I think I just sort of started doing it during Mike Skelly's when he was still on the show. And then, um, and then I just kept doing it when when Al took over. Hmm. I think partly uh, having done, A lot of acting and and improv and stuff, I I sort of have a sense of what actors want to hear and and how to say it, I hope. Mm
2: Well, it, it must be tough, uh, or, or maybe not, uh, with with you coming into direct actors who have such established roles that uh, by you know they're they're more than ten years into playing the the characters when you took over. Did that make it like easier or harder to direct?
3: They're the easiest actors to direct because <laughs> they 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 don't have a lot of um, you know like some actors will be like, don't give me a line reading, like. And, and sometimes, you know, it, it's hard to describe something <laughs> like Nancy will sometimes go, just just give me a, a line reading. And <laughs> yeah. um and, and Yarley will, too, you know, like they will just because uh, sometimes it's just easier because I mean, it's, it's not so much about ever changing what, you know, their character would normally do. It's really just about being somebody that ha- was there when it was written or at least sort of knowing these writers well enough to know what they're. Going for, and just helping that be translated to so that the actors understand what the writers were going for. And like I said, you know, um, we always try and get at least a couple takes of what was a, initially envisioned, and then they are always, you know, Dan will go, wait, I want to try something, and then he'll do it, and you know, a lot of times it's it's really great, and and you know, and sometimes it's just. He sometimes he just sort of will add a little something at it at a table read and then like it'll be like oh that's so funny we'll like <laughs> we'll put it in and um, yeah they're 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 really great and and I mean all of our actors are just really nice and have really just great helpful attitudes and Dan is he's almost from another planet he's so serene and calm and and yet funny usually <laughs> usually people who are who are super chill and and calm are not you know they're just they're just chill and relaxed. he's also wickedly funny and it's, it's a really nice combination
0: well carolyn we've uh, gone an hour now but thank you so much for all of your time and we have more questions we got oh, through hey, about like 65 yeah. percent of them so if you want to come back <laughs> oh. we got plenty of other ones to ask you
3: Oh sure, I I'm so flattered that anybody would be interested, and in I love, uh, love to talk.
2: No, I I mean, like yeah, Halloween of Horror is is one of my my favorites uh, of uh, the last few years. Like that. So and you got March High, like that's such a great. <laughs> <but I> one. <love laughs> yeah, that.
3: Halloween of Horror is uh, is is my favorite too mm, fact, wow that was yeah just i love i love homer in it i love yardley and I, I just i love everybody in it. and i do think that was a time when that episode you know mike anderson really liked halloween and and he directed it and he, he's our supervising director but he you know he doesn't direct episodes that much because he's supervising everybody else but he did direct that one. And, and I think all the animators were, they love Halloween. So I felt like the animators were like firing on all cylinders <laughs> and, and the writer's room was firing on all cylinders with, you know, just cause we hadn't done a Canon Halloween episode and we all love Halloween. And I, I thought even like Alf and uh, I thought the music was extraordinarily good. The score yeah, I just I, I love that episode. It's
0: a beautiful episode yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: but I guess I mean, you know folks should follow you on Twitter, but you have anything else you'd want to promote?
3: Uh, I, I am on an Instagram too, although I don't okay. I, I, it's mostly my very adorable dog. <laughs> I guess. Um, but occasionally I do think I'm going to start' just looking at all my Simpsons stuff and I was like, oh, I should take some pictures of these things and because uh, I have weird, weird Simpson things. Um, but uh, yeah, so. Um, Instagram, Twitter, I don't really have anything else to promote. Trying to think of some charity that I should promote.
2: Oh, but but thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much, Carolyn. Carolyn.
3: Thank you.
0: feels like I'm wearing nothing at all. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. (laughs) Stupid, sexy Flanders. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists
2: are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues.